0: This week on The Book Drop, we discover which Barbie we are based on our reading interest, offer up book recs for your favorite summer movies, and talk about the best things we've seen on screen this year for Query of the Week. This is The Book Drop. Hello, and welcome to The Book Drop, Omaha Public Library's podcast about books, our community, and the joy of reading. I'm Erin Dewar, the Readers and Writers Librarian for OPL, and I am at our Benson branch.
1: I'm Michelle Carlson, Book Club Librarian, and I work at the W. Clark Swanson branch. Hey, this is Anna
2: Wilcoxon. I am downtown, and I work as a Diversity and Inclusion Librarian for OPL. So coming up at the library, we have some programming around our pick for this year's Omaha Reads title, that book is going to be Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, it's about pretty much what the title says it is, which a li- with a little bit of, of memoir thrown in there as well. But we're going to be hosting a panel discussion about this book on Sunday, September 24th from 3 to 4 p.m. at the UNO Barbara White's Community Engagement Center. So OPL staff will be there, and we're going to have this interdisciplinary panel of professors, including Barbara Robbins, Susanna grahalis Uh, Galicia, I apologize if I am slaughtering your last name, Uh, Rudy Mitchell and Elizabeth Chalecki. The panelists will share their personal take on the many themes of braiding sweet grass, which include reciprocity, the sharing of gifts, and the link between scientific knowledge and indigenous ways of knowing. It should be a really lovely discussion. After the event, this is even cooler, attendees can take a self-guided tour of UNO's native garden, which is located between Kaiser Hall and Roskins Hall. Uh, this indigenous garden is home to native and other food-producing plants. So that will be Sunday, September twenty-fourth, three o'clock. We also are going to have book club discussions that will be centered around this title too. You can go to any one of the ten OPL book clubs that will be that will be discussing in *Braiding Sweetgrass* during the month of September. You can check our website at OmahaLibrary.org for all of those uh, details. So yeah, please join us in reading and celebrating the wonderful book *Braiding Sweetgrass* through some of these events. Or just read the book, too. You could do both. Neither. But we recommend you choose one of those things to participate.
1: Cool. Here on the podcast, we love books, we love movies, and we love when they are combined. And so um, one of our favorite websites, Book Riot has a quiz that um, which Barbie are you based on your book picks? So it'll take you through a quiz, uh, you know, out of like six books, which uh, is your best uh, literary fiction, romance, fantasy, all of these different types of books. Um, And then at the end, it will tell you which Barbie you are. So the three of us have taken the quiz and friends. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. What?
2: Hi, Barbie. What (laughs)
1: official Barbie are you? Well,
0: I felt really validated because my, um, this is also the Barbie that is supposedly my uh, sun sign. So I got President Barbie Uh, So the description, which is played by Issa Rae, which makes it even better. Uh, So the description of President Barbie is queen, madam, president, whatever the honorific, you'll take it. You're the boss babe in charge. And while you know it, you also don't make a big thing of it. That's natural leadership right there. You care deeply about the causes important to you and are always looking to expand your understanding of the world through reading.
2: I like that. I feel
0: feel pretty good about it.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. That feels right for you, I think. It's a complete Capricorn Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Totally. Anna
2: um well i got weird barbie which is what i would expect i'm happy with being weird barbie okay, i feel great, like that like i mean so based upon my book selection i don't know what i was just doing some quick googling to see if i could find out what uh which barbie would be the first sagittarius oh, oh. But yeah mm-hmm. um yeah but this will have to look so right yeah book riot says that uh says congrats you're officially the coolest Barbie so I don't need your pity Aaron <laughs> <laughs> so it says you don't care what anyone thinks you're out there and you know it newest trends ca- newest trends who cares
1: most popular
2: books never read them uh, you love a weird book you don't care who knows it keep right on being you because you're doing it right um and not like that I think my reading tastes are the most amazing but they are weird and I like lean into mm-hmm. the weirdness and I totally um I embrace that it, it felt like a, a a val- valid quiz to me after getting that result. <laughs> oh, this is different. What this is just one source that says Sagittarius yep. is Simu
1: Leo's kin. So yeah. which is also a great, oh, a great yeah. pick. So if you have it open, okay. Keep the Aquarius, because I, I think it's Mermaid made Barbie, or did they save that one for Pisces? But I mean this one's different than the
0: ones the one that you my, saw original. <laughs> People on Instagram make my memes for me. Uh, Yeah. You said Aquarius. Yeah. Okay. Aquarius. uh, You are. (laughs) This one says Alan. (laughs) Oh, what? (laughs) Right. I mean, we love Alan. He's a hero. Alan's a hero. I don't know.
1: A little quirky. A little like. just one opinion. Not what you expect when you first meet him. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. A true feminist. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I took it four times. (laughs) Three out of the four, I got the same uh, three (laughs) or the same Barbie. And it is stereotypical Barbie. So look at us. We're all different Barbies. So... The description says, You're a Barbie girl living in a Barbie world. And isn't that just the best? Some people might describe you as basic, but that's only because you're a taste maker. Yeah, taste maker, though. I'm like, okay, okay. You're oh, always my... on top of a trend and reading yeah, the most yeah, popular yeah. books even before the rest of the world knows about them. Bestsellers are obviously bestsellers for a reason, so keep right on reading them. And I feel like that's actually pretty true. I do read, you know, not quite the like top, yeah. top bestsellers, but yeah. So,
2: yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, your finger is on the pulse. Right. You, yeah. You. And, like yeah. you also, you're like the <laughs> only reason I know at all whatever happens on TikTok. But, like, <laughs> yeah. <terms> of, like, <laughs> that's like a, yeah, very yeah. important. Connection. Love it. I'm that's,
0: really happy we have different answers. I feel you too. like that was really too cool. often our quizzes are like. We're all a sunflower or whatever. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: <laughs> so good That's job. Busby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, now I want to know which awesome. like books we all chose. Yeah. <laughs> but That day. made me think yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I like
2: Michelle, like I was thinking like when you were describing this the quiz earlier, like I would like to see like RA for, like, the Barbies, like, what books, mm. like, President Barbie would like to read or what books would weird mm. Barbie, like, to
1: read. I, or, I did or Alan. see <laughs> a list like that because it, de- it definitely had, like, for the physicist Barbie, like, reading lessons mm. in chemistry. Stereotypical Barbie was reading Happy Place uh, by Emily <laughs> Henry. <And> so, <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, there is a list. I think Penguin Random House has it, so. it would make sense. Um, yeah, I bet.
0: But yeah, cool. I bet. Um, cool. So yes, today we are recommending books based on your favorites. we're saying summer movies. Some of these might have been outside of summer, but around summer <laughs> movies, uh, we were going to offer you some book recommendations. So Michelle, just keep the Barbie content rolling. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so I'm going to talk about Barbie for us. So for those that haven't been able to see it yet, um, Here's a quick breakdown. It is directed by Greta Gerwig and written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. It stars Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, America Ferreira, Simu Liu, Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, and a tons, ton more. Um, it's a really grateful cast. Um, and essentially, the summary is that Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Um And so, you know, Barbie's in Barbie land. She ends up in the real world and is like, wait, what is happening? Um, And Ken goes with her, learns some things, goes back to Barbie land and teaches people those things and chaos and comedy and all those really great things. Um, It's pretty delightful. So I do highly recommend. Um, If you're interested in some movie recs, uh, Greta Gerwig did have a movie inspo list that um, she worked with Letterboxd to create. And so it's all these different movies that influence the look and script of the this fantasy comedy kind of musical thing. You know, highlights include Wizard of Oz and Singing in the Rain um, and The Godfather and, you know, those types of things. Um, and so there's like almost 40 uh, or some 30 um, on that list. So lots of movies to indulge in. Um, but if you are looking for some book recs, um, here are some. <laughs> so, one that I found that I can't wait to actually be able to dig into more because it is truly kind of fascinating. And so, um, it's a debut novel called Aesthetica by Ali Robottom, um, and I'm just going to read from, straight from the jacket for you because it's the best. At nineteen, at Anna Ray, uh, which is the um, her you know handle or whatever we call it these days. <laughs> So at Anna Ray was an Instagram celebrity. Now at 35, she works behind the cosmetic counter at the black and white store. I think we all know which one that is. Uh, And she's peddling anti-aging products to women seeking physical and spiritual transformation. She too is seeking rebirth. She's about to undergo the high risk elective surgery Aesthetica trademark. A procedure that will reverse all her past plastic surgery procedures, returning her, she hopes, to a truer self, provided she survives the knife. But on the eve of the surgery, her traumatic past resurfaces when she is asked to participate in the public takedown of her former manager slash boyfriend, who has rebranded himself as a paragon of woke masculinity in the post-MeToo world. With the hours ticking down to her surgery, she must confront the ugly truth about her experiences on and off the Instagram grid. Propulsive, dark, and moving, Aesthetica is a Veronica for the age of Instagram face, delivering a fresh, nuanced examination of feminism, Me Too, and mother-daughter relationships, all while confronting our collective addiction to followers, filters, and faux realities. I think you can kind of see where I see the similarities between Barbie um, and kind of the aesthetic appearances and stuff. Um, part of Barbie is about, you know, how the doll Barbie was supposed to change the world for, for girls and women and where we ended up and that kind of thing. Um, So if you're looking for something that's in the, um, you know, a little Black Mirror-esque psychological fiction, um, but also really engaging and incisive uh, fiction novel, um, I think you'll like this one. Um, and it also then kind of reminded me of the book that I talked about a Book Bash, momfluenced, Inside the Maddening, Picture-Perfect World of Mommy Influencer Culture, which I just kind of want to save the title on the podcast. That way, if anybody wanted to read it for the reading challenge, now you can <laughs> for that reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it also has a very weird cover that's kind of fun. So, all right. And then my other one is for our Ken fans uh, is the male gazed on hunks, heartthrobs and what pop culture taught me about desiring men by Manuel Bettencourt. Uh, and so <clears throat> Manuel Betancourt has long lustfully coveted masculinity in part because he so lacked it. As a child in Bogota, Colombia, he grew up with the social pressure to appear strong, manly, and ultimately straight. And yet in the film's, and television he avidly watched, Betancourt saw glimmers of different possibilities. From the stars of telenovelas and the princess, princes of Disney films, to pop sensation Ricky Martin and teen heartthrobs in shows like Saved by the Bell, he continually found himself asking, do I want him or do I want to be him? The male gazed grapples with the thrall of masculinity, examining its frailty and its attention Attendant anxieties, even as it focuses on its erotic potential. Masculinity, Betancourt suggests, isn't suddenly ripe for deconstruction, or even outright destruction, amid so much talk about its inherent toxicity. Looking back over decades where the pop culture's attempts to codify and reframe what men can be, wear, do, and desire, this book establishes that to gaze at men is still a subversive act. Written in the spirit of Hanif Abdurraqib and Olivia Ling, the male gaze mingles personal anecdotes with cultural criticism to offer an exploration of intimacy, homoeroticism, and the danger of internalizing too many toxic ideas about masculinity as a gay man. So again, Barbie is talking a little, you know, feminism isn't just about women. (laughs) It's also about equality for everyone. And so that is definitely what this book is looking at, and especially from someone that um, grew up in a different country and was looking at the larger Latin American world and U.S. pop culture um, and how that affected his life. Uh, So if you're looking for something in that, you know, witty, erudite, and self-revealing memoir um, and essays, then The Male Gaze might be the book for you. I will say if I had to give a criticism um, to Barbie itself as a movie um, was, uh, I know, I know, but yeah, it's not as perfect as I wanted it to be, but that doesn't diminish its capacity or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, what is a lawyer or diplomat Barbie say? You know, you can hold two truths at once, <laughs> however she uh-huh. says it, but um, essentially um, I do feel like the movie um could have done better representation for our Native American and indigenous folks. Um, And so when looking at book recommendations and a a book that I also just started reading that I really do love, and I was really sad I had to return it before I could finish it, uh, is Crow Mary by Kathleen Grissom. Um, And this is a true story about a real woman named Crow Mary um, and her life. And she, Kathleen Grissom worked with um, her ancestor or her, like her current ancestors, the living <laughs> folks, uh, to be able to tell her story. So um, this novel is highlighting the true life of the story of a remarkable woman who straddled two different cultures during a pivotal and horrifying time for indigenous people across North America. At 16, goes first, of the Crow Nation marries a white fur trader, Abe Farewell, who renames her Crow Mary. Known for being fair and honest with his indigenous customers, Abe has his sights on a trading fort in Cypress Hills of Canada. While the season goes well, the end brings tragedy when Abe and Crow Mary witness the slaughter of 40 Nakoda people. When Crow Mary sees the murders abduct five women, she sets off alone to save them, triggering events that will bring heartache and personal triumph. It is a bittersweet tale based around the true story of Crow Mary and the battle she fought individually for herself and both sides of her family. Readers will be drawn to Crow Mary, and the author treats her subject matter with the respect and cultural sensitivity that she deserves. So again, in the the way that Barbie is also like fighting for all the Barbies, not just herself. Crow Mary is Barbie. We are <laughs> So uh, if you like historical fiction, are always, um, again, if you're reading Braiding Sweetgrass and are looking for a bit of a autobiographical fiction, uh, or excuse me, biographical fiction um, about uh, Native women, uh, Crow Mary might be the book for you. Um, and it's also a, a new title in our book club bag collection. So if you're looking for and want to talk about with your friends, you can get the bag. Okay, that's all my Barbie Rex.
2: Awesome. Uh, So I am going to do book recs for a movie called Joyride. It was directed by Adele Lim. And this is described as a hilarious and unapologetically explicit story of identity and self-discovery. It centers on four unlikely friends who embark on a once in a lifetime international adventure. Joyride is not afraid to shock with its gross-out gags, but the road trip's real surprise is how successfully it blends its raunchy humor with real heart. So, the four characters at the center of this are all like Asian American women, and they're all like, uh, you know, very much resisting the idea of like Asian Americans as like the model minority that that myth that like um, people are well-behaved and quiet and not rebellious. And this movie shows a whole different side of that uh, stereotype. So. I chose a few books that all kind of talk about the experiences of uh, immigrant women, mostly Asian American, but not, are they exclusively? Pretty much, almost exclusively. Um, So there's a novel called Brown Girls by Daphne palassi Andriatis, and it's told in a chorus of voices. And you have a group of multicultural girls in Queens that are just sharing their experiences growing up. And I feel like when I read this book, it almost kind of felt like um, it's got kind of like a Greek chorus Feel to it like they use like we a lot of the time you don't get a lot of like individual um like perspectives or like so it just it feels like a community telling you their story kind of as a group so they talk about school relationships of all kinds the balance between living up to what your parents want you to be with most of their parents being immigrants in this book um and just being like a normal rebellious kid, like pushing the boundaries and like trying to like enjoy the freedom and exposure that you get to American culture and like in a city like New York, but also not wanting to like disappoint their parents or like, you know, trying to live up to those, the standards their parents want for them too. So the narrators, like I said, have that kind of, they're presented with a vagueness that translates like their individual experiences into like a broader commentary on just what it's, like to be the child of immigrants. So it's stylistically complex and it's also a coming of age story that it's a pretty quick read as well. It's a little like melancholy, but also like very engaging at the same time. Another book that folks that might like this maybe would like is called Deceit and Other Possibilities by Vanessa Hua. And these are, a, this is a collection of short stories. And again, it, it focuses on the experiences and challenges of immigrant life. Uh, not just for the immigrants themselves, but also, again, like being the child of immigrants and navigating the obligations to family versus yourself. And so they're all looking at balance um, like their cultures, languages, traditions, and change. And most of the stories are set in the Bay Area within Asian and Mexican communities. So it's engaging writing, lots of dark humor. So the humor aspect might also tie in well with, with Joyride as well. Another one I have is uh, biography. I read this not too long ago. It's called Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. And this is just her story of growing up uh, biracial and queer in Florida. It's set up in New York as well. Uh, her mother was Hawaiian, and so she kind of tries to unpack that identity um, while trying to unpack a lot of other stuff. She's a very complicated family. She rebels pretty hard against her dis- dysfunctional parents. like They have their own substance problems. Uh, her dad does some criminal behavior that there are repercussions for later on in her life and if you have like the author's last name is madden if you've ever heard of steve madden shoes that's her uncle so she also like kind of unpacks the weight of like having like financial privilege but a very like fraught social network um so and even like her parents like yeah like i mentioned they have plenty of their own problems but like more even like unpacked as you go through the book, like there are more, more family members uh, that that uh, show up at some point that she didn't know existed. So it's very tender, but it's also really gritty, and it does. She does a really great job of like describing that like rebelliousness that you feel, and like that invincibility that you feel when you're like a teenager and just feel like there are no consequences for your your actions. Um, but very engaging, and re- like I, I liked her writing style quite a bit. And the other book I had to recommend for Joyride as well is another biography. Um, But it's, maybe it's probably actually more of a memoir than biography. So it's from uh, Margaret Cho. I kind of think of as like the, like she was like the original, like bad Asian girl, basically (laughs) like the first one I became aware of culturally, like that was just kind of like, I'm going to swear. I'm going to have tattoos. Like I'm not like, you know, a a quiet, meek, meek, Woman that you're tr- like, that you want me to like be pigeonholed as. So she wrote a book called I Have Chosen to Stay and Fight. And it's her story about just really finding her political voice. So um, I went to include that in my list of Asian American women behaving badly books because I wanted to give a shout out to Margaret Cho. Um, yeah, those are my recs for that movie.
1: Awesome. Cool.
0: I'm here with the other half of the. Barbenheimer uh, you know duo. So if you made it through the summer without knowing what Oppenheimer the movie is, here's a description. Uh, it's an epic biographical thriller film written and directed by Christopher Nolan. The film chronicles the career of American theoretical physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer. The story predominantly focuses on his like studies, his direction of the Manhattan Project during World War II and his eventual fall from grace due to his 1954 security hearings. Uh, everyone in Hollywood is in this movie. Uh, it stars Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt's his wife. It's also got Florence Pugh, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Josh Hartnett. Who, man, I hope there's a Josh Hartnett resurgence. I'm just really, like, uh, really hoping for it. Because um, you were like, "Where's that guy been?" Uh, so pretty much everybody in this movie. So my recs for this. This movie is based on a book called American Prometheus The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer by Kay Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. Um, this book originally came out in 2005. Uh, it feels like it's, I mean, there are many biographies about Oppenheimer, but this is like one of the big ones that's like 700 plus pages if you also are into like real big books and all the information. Um, so this kind of covers that same period uh, discusses his role in the 20th century scientific world uh, as well as like his family life and his time as head of Princeton's Institute of Advanced Studies. Uh, I thought it was interesting that this, this book came out in 2005, like it was immediately optioned for a movie. It like floated around Hollywood until Christopher Nolan got it. And then finally wrote the screenplay and made the movie. But I Supposedly this probably happened because like when Christopher Nolan was making Tenant, Robert Pattinson gave Nolan a book of Oppenheimer's speeches and that kind of spurred his interest in making this movie. So um, my besides next if you want all the facts, that's the book for you. That's the big one. That's the book version of that movie, um, without all the beautiful cinematography. Uh, my next rec is A Pale View of Hills, uh, which is Kazu Ishiguro's, uh, debut, who we've talked about on the podcast before. So this is if you are like, Hey, there's a whole other side to the atomic bomb. There's several other sides. Um, but one of the other sides is the people that the bombs were dropped on. So this is, uh, Highly acclaimed, his debut novel, Uh, A Pale View of Hills, tells the story of Asuko, a Japanese woman now living alone in England, dwelling on the recent suicide of her daughter. Uh, Retreating into the past, she finds herself relieving one particular hot summer when she and her friends struggle to rebuild their lives after the bombing of Nagasaki and the end of World War II. Um, But then as she recalls her strange friendship with Sachiko, a wealthy woman reduced to vagrancy, the memories take on disturbing cast. So this book is about... Childhood trauma, it's a little bit of an unreliable narrator, um, but it's very character-driven, intricately plotted. Uh, Not as much about Oppenheimer, but if you want a different side of that story, I'd recommend. And we know that Kazu Ishiguro is a very talented writer. Um, And then... If you saw Oppenheimer and you were like, man, I love all this drama and uh, his weird, his paramour with Florence Pugh and all the other stuff that's going on. Also, there was more sex in that movie than I had anticipated and nudity. So that's also a warning for you. But if you're like, I want romance set during the Manhattan Project, uh, Universe of Two by Stephen P. Kiernan. this is a novel of conscious love and redemption. It's a fascinating fictionalized account of the life of Charlie Fisk, a gifted mathematician who drafted into the Manhattan Project and orders against his morals to build the detonator for the atomic bomb. So, this is like a love and wartime story. Uh, it's complex, definitely flawed characters. Uh, this is, there's a lot in Oppenheimer about, I mean, struggling with the idea of like what they were doing and what what's going to happen and what happens after you drop a bomb in the world that you have created now that the atomic bomb exists. And so this is just a fictionalized version of what other people went through when they had a hand to play in those like massive changes in our society. So uh, that one is universe of two by Steven P. Kiernan. And those are my picks for Oppenheimer. It's a good variety of different things. Very nice what's next michelle
1: okay well technically this actually came out in april i thought it came out in may so that's why i was like it counts it's fine but that's fine as we don't have rules here on the podcast (laughs) but it is a movie that i actually saw so um and that is the super mario brothers movie uh which is now also on dvd (sighs) in our collection so um you can uh go watch it there. Um, I think it is other- otherwise still in some theaters if you want that full experience. But uh essentially it is about a plumber named Mario <laughs> who travels through an underground labyrinth with his brother Luigi. Um and they're trying so to- much <laughs> <Yeah. time. laughs> in case you like have never heard <laughs> uh that's yeah. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah Mario and his brother they um, they are in a real world um, that, you know, Earth, our real life, as you know it, um, and then fall through a pipe, and they end up in the Mushroom Kingdom, where the princess named Peach um, and an anthropomorphic mushroom named Toad (laughs) be friends, um, and then they um, uh, Peach's uh, the Mushroom Kingdom is going to be under attack by uh, Bowser, the evil villain of this world, who is a fire-breathing Koopa, I don't know why it's so silly saying these things out loud, but like it is um, like, especially after you just talk about Oppenheimer. And- yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, Koopa's trying to take over the mushroom kingdom. And so Peach is rallying her troops and the other kingdoms to fight back. And um, Mario is along for the ride and is the hero of the day. Uh And so it, Voices for this include Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Keegan-Michael Key, Jack Black, and a lot, lot more. Um, So, if you are looking for some... If you've ever played Mario or any of the Nintendo games, it's essentially advanced technology that is based, like, magic. (laughs) And is Bowser not just an eccentric billionaire that has to prove his, like, right to life um, and, like, land building and all of this kind of stuff? So, and it's action-packed video game that may be real life. So, if you want that in a book, uh, you're looking at Questland by Carrie Vaughn. So, mm. Professor Addie Cox is pulled into real-life role-playing game in this entertaining genre bender from Vaughn. Insula Mirabilis, the, the wonderful island, is a conceived fantasy theme park off the coast of Washington State, complete with magic and mythical creatures, all created through advanced technology by tech giant Harris Lang. But after Lang's production team mutinies and isolates the island under a high-tech shield, Lang hires a team of soldiers to quash the rebellion and brings in Addy to help the mercenaries understand the myth and folklore that rule the island. Addie may also be his best hope for re- reigning in Dominic Brand, the mutiny's leader and Addie's ex-boyfriend. Replete with dragons and enchat- enchantment, the island is, more, is even more fantastic than Addie could have imagined, but she soon discovers that the developers have continued working, rendering useless the maps she and the soldiers have. To regain control from Dominic, the group will have to navigate a series of traps, challenges, and side quests to reach the island's center. Vaughn lays out every tabletop gamer's dream as she skillfully creates the illusionary world of Insula Mirabellis. The result is a delightful romp. So if you're into kind of the the gaming style of an adventure story, and to me it is so spot on to some of the different side quests and all that type of stuff that is in the Mario world, uh, you might like this one. If you like more of the, the brother story or the, you know, kind of fictional tall tale side of, uh, of Mario, um, then you might enjoy Cuyahoga by Pete Beatty. Uh, Beatty's inspired debut is an American tall tale in the 19th century oral tradition. Living legend Big Sun has wrestled forests and rivers into submission. But in Ohio City in 1837, he meets his greatest challenge to date when his true love, Chloe Inches, refuses to be his bride until he proves himself as a provider. Which, by the way, I did not know this has always been in the folklore of Mario, but Bowser has always wanted to marry Peach, and that's why he keeps chasing her. I thought that just happened in this movie. That's always a thing. So this is part of also what reminded me of Mario. Mario. Back to the review. (laughs) Um, So Big Sun finds work building a bridge across the Cuyahoga River that will connect Cleveland with its rival, Ohio City. But after the bridge collapses, so too do Big Sun's fortunes. It is up to his brother, medium son, called Mead, to restore his reputation by creating an almanac of Big Sun's legendary feats. Mead, however, covets Chloe and is secretly jealous of the attention his older brother receives. Throw in a dandyish rival for Chloe's affection in a gunpowder toting de- demonstrator, and the stage is set for the biggest Big Sun tale of all time. Narrated by Mead in a colloquial voice, uh, which some reviewers have said that's hard to get into, but it could be your thing, uh, Beatty's novel has echoes of Matthew Sharp's Jamestown or Hugh Nis. Neeson's The Tree of Life, employing language that thrusts the reader fully into the tumult of life on the American frontier. Like Big Sun himself, this novel is an American original. So if you kind of like that exaggerated, quirky, and whimsical side of storytelling, um, and again, that oral tradition of storytelling, um, it's reminding me a little bit of uh, Lincoln and the Bardo, kind of some threads and stuff. So this might be something that you might enjoy. And my final pick is a nonfiction children's graphic novel, because also when talking about Mario, how can you not talk about like a child's graphic novel? Um, And it is called the mushroom fan club by Elise gravel. Um, And so um, Elise gravel has done many uh, graphic novels before. And uh, this one is about one of her family's most beloved pastimes, mushroom hunting. And so uh, it is, Combining her love of getting into nature with her talent for anthropom- anthropomorphizing everything, Gravel takes us on a magical tour of the forest floor and examines a handful of her favorite alien specimens up close. So it's very whimsical and educational. The art style is really, really fun. Um, but you're also going to learn a ton about mushrooms, how to identify them, which ones are safe, which ones are not so safe, and all that kind of stuff. So it's very easy to read. So if you're just looking to get into mushrooms, It's okay to read children's books. We say that all the time. So The Mushroom Fan Club by Elise Gravel.
2: Nice, Michelle. Um, All right. I am going to do some movie recs for Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Uh, This is also a very star-studded cast. Um, I honestly have not seen this movie yet, but um, I know that there is a lot of, of known people that are in this one. And the sketches of the plot, or that the itinerary of a junior stargazer slash space cadet convention um, that was organized to bring together students and parents from across the country for like fellowship and a scholarly competition. It's spectacularly disrupted by world changing events. So if, um, if you're a Wes Anderson fan already, you're probably going to like this. If you're not, you're probably not going to like this. But yeah, so if you respond to a signature style, this is like very much a return to his immaculately arranged form. Um, so yeah, he's known for like his highly detailed aesthetics, like kind of layered storytelling. Um, a very like there's his aesthetic is so kind of singular that there are like Instagram accounts and maybe even like, I don't know if there's a filter or like things that like will like Wes Anderson if your um, your photos. Yeah. Um, So the first thing I thought of was a book I'd actually mentioned on the podcast before called Spaceman of Bohemia by uh, Jaroslav Kalfar. And that's just because aliens. So like, these are both things that like, are not like, like traditionally sci-fi, but there is like, an alien might show up at some point randomly and it might not, I don't know. Uh, But because it's it's, like, the Spaceman of Bohemia is an introspective book so it portrays, like, a space story within a complicated love story. And there's a lot of, like, philosophical ramblings and kind of meaning of life sort of conversations. Just, like, a little bit of, like, surrealness that just reminds me of a kinship with with Wes Anderson. Like, I feel like sometimes he, like, has, like, a little bit of that, like, kind of, I don't know how I would describe it. Like, a almost sad playfulness or something. Like, um, so this has, like, a, has like a similar a similar feel. I also thought of Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, just because uh, it's an epic story and it has like, it combines all of these different elements that you maybe wouldn't traditionally put together. And it also feels like a very complicated and layered story. So we have like a teen tennis prodigy and his family, that's a main character in Infinite Jest and also the manager of a halfway house for recovery and addicts. And then also just some like Canadian revolutionaries show up later on in in the book. Um, And we have a dead father figure that looms over some of the characters, which is a common theme in Wes Anderson's work. Um, And just also like there's a lot of just general dysfunction, which is also very common if you watch a Wes Anderson family in action highly, uh, like a highly intelligent family that's also highly idiosyncratic, kind of like the Royal Tenenbaums or something like that. Like a bunch of achievers that like are achieving all these things outside of their personal lives, but can't like get their personal relationships together, figure out like how to just talk to each other as, as people. Um, a lot of dark wit and infinite just. And I also like, there's tons, You people will either like love or hate this. I found it challenging, but it was interesting to the story, like the footnotes. Like that's like infinite dress is known for like having like copious amounts of footnotes and it, it kind of lends like an air of like, I don't know, like a fun, like immersive reading experience, but sometimes it feels really tedious at the same time. So, um, that I don't know. I feel like that idea of, of like layers again and like just in- intricacy feels like a very Andersonian uh, <laughs> quality. And I could also totally just picture like the halfway house and the tennis Academy, like in that Wes Anderson aesthetic, like a good picture it just being shot in a way that's got like the right color palette and like, just like very attentive, like fonts on sign. It just like, I just picture those things like in a Wes Anderson style. Um, And this like Infinite Just is like, yeah, it has dark wit, but I think it is maybe a little more dark than most of Wes Anderson's work, a little bit more satirical, uh, but still a relationship. And this last book is actually one I haven't read, but it came up on a lot of lists for people that like Wes Anderson books. And then when I read about it, I was like, oh yeah, I could totally see how this would fit in there. So uh, this one is called Under Major Domo Minor by Patrick DeWitt, and it's like a fable-like story about an eccentric liar who's somewhere in Europe uh, and he ends up managing the grounds of a mentally ill baron at, at his castle and the characters have lots of like witty dialogue. Someone described the mood as quote, whimsy on the loose, which felt like a very Wes Anderson description as well. Uh, and this book is also kind of known for having like lots of detail. So just like, not like, and not just in terms of like the the plot, but also just in how things are, described. So just like things are like really described in a way that's like down to the last like leaf, you know, just like it brings to mind Anderson's attention to detail and like his layered scene setting and aesthetics. So um, if you like Asteroid City, these are other Wes Anderson-esque books you might also appreciate.
0: Cool. Okay. My last movie is Past Lives. Um, This movie I – When the trailer came out, it was like, I felt like I hadn't seen a trailer in a long time. It made me feel the way this trailer, like I was almost crying at the end of the trailer and then the movie did not disappoint me. So I'm just going to preface it with that. Um, so the description of this movie is Nora and hae Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends are rest apart after Nora's family immigrates from South Korea to the United States or to Canada and then to the United States. Uh, decades later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront destiny, love and the choices that make a life. So the movie is written and directed by Celine Song. This was her um, film directorial debut. Um, it stars Greta Lee, Tou, and John Mijaro. Uh Like I said, this this movie like punched me in the heart a couple times. Uh, it's it's very like kind of poetic and gentle and lovely, and uh, it's set in New York, so it's kind of got that vibe. Uh, one of the main themes of the movie is the idea of inyun, which is a Korean concept. It's often like translated to fate, but it's actually like more than that. Uh, it's it's the idea that the like strings of providence that tie people together throughout like reincarnated lives. So, if you like brush up against someone in the street, you must have had connections before in a past life, and like the more connected you are, the more like past lives or past interactions you've had um, and it's introduced by uh, Nora played by Greta Lee when she's meeting the man who will eventually be her husband and he was like do you, he's white guy and he's like do you believe in that she's like no it's just something Koreans say to um, like hit on people but it is like a really deep theme of the movie um so my first book is a Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ezeki. So if you're into the Asian experience stories or uh, interconnected lives, um, this is not quite a romance, but it's just kind of those themes. So a tale for the time being unravels the mystery of a 16-year-old Japanese American girl's diary found in a washer store in Whale Town, British Columbia. Born in Sunnyvale, California, Nao logs her diary entries from Japan since her father returned the family there following the burst of the dot-com bubble. Zeki creates a host of colorful tales surrounding Nao and her 100. 100- and four-year-old great-grandmother Ziko, a Buddhist nun, and great-uncle Haruki, who was a kamikaze pilot in World War II. Meanwhile in Canada, author Ruth and her husband Oliver are reading Nao's entries in the year 2012, wondering whether the diary diary is debris from the devastating tsunami that hit Japan in 2011 and whether Nao is still alive. So that book's intricately plotted. It's character-driven. It's thought-provoking and reflective. Um, so if you're kind of into the... In Yun doesn't have to be romance. It could just mean like the ties that hold people together. And I think that plays into that really well. Uh, When I was thinking about book recs for this, I couldn't get this title out of my head because I read it a while last year, but one true loves by Taylor Jenkins read. This is kind of, if you're into the like love lost and found themes. So, Emma and uh, Jesse, their high school sweethearts, they marry, they build a life, they move away from their families in Massachusetts, they, like, travel the world, they have this really exciting life, and on their anniversary, uh, Jesse is in a helicopter crash, uh, or lost, basically, in a helicopter crash, like, they can't even, they don't even know where it's at, so essentially gone, they assume he's dead. So she moves, uh, Emma moves back home, kind of starts her life over, years, a couple years later, she meets uh sam who's an old friend and falls in love and gets engaged and as uh, she's planning her wedding um gets a call that uh jesse her husband is actually still alive <laughs> so this is a very uh love triangly thing but a you might know taylor jenkins read from these like kind of big character driven kind of like feel like flashy like almost like sexy hollywood stories i feel like now but she started out writing what were really these like kind of like deep, sentimental love stories. Um, but this one was also recently adapted, uh, into a movie with Philippa Sue and Simu Liu, uh, who play Emma and then Sam, her new fiance. So if you like love triangles, uh, and the question is like, who do you choose? Like you have a husband and a fiance. So, um, my last pick, this is a YA, but I, I, asked one of my friends who is really into Korean dramas and uh, reads a lot uh, too. And I was like, can you think of In Yoon as like this concept? And I I was having trouble like actually finding it like referenced in any books. Like it doesn't stick out a lot when I was like trying to do research. But this kind of is like a little bit of a younger version of what past lives feel like. So, Soulmates by Susan Lee, and that's Soul like as the city S E O U um, L. So, this is a story about childhood love. It's a young adult novel. It's told in alternating perspectives. Um, it follows two estranged Korean American childhood best friends as they rekindle their rekindling as they navigate identity, identity, and blossoming first love. So, uh, oh, Hannah's boyfriend uh, dumps her, uh, and Her, like, plans for the summer are ruined. Um, She has a plan to win Nate back, but uh, then her former best friend, childhood best friend Jacob, comes back to the United States, but he's now a K. (laughs) this does feel so white. Now he's a K-drama star, um, which kind of throws a wrench into her whole plans of, like, getting back to her with her boyfriend. Um, But I think there's a lot about, like, being Korean American, like, having multiple – And intersectional identities, um, but also, obviously, kind of a love triangle. Uh, So recalling the effusive expression, fast-paced and dramatic moments of a K-drama, Lee celebrates Korean culture and examines its objectification within the U.S. via a good, humored, and tenderly written second chance at love. Um, I imagine it's not going to punch you in the heart as much, but uh, it is a cute, sweet romance uh, with some of the same themes. So, yeah, those are my recommendations for past lives. Uh, okay. Let's, let's talk about some more movies and TVs and things. Uh, queer of the week this week is what's your favorite thing you've watched this year? And that can be movies or TV. Um, and I would say it doesn't even have to be anything that came out this year, I guess is
2: fair thing. So Anna, what's your answer? Well, yeah, thank goodness. It doesn't have to be anything that came out this year because I do not watch <laughs> new things. Or a movie. Often. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Uh, but this is actually, it's one thing I think, Michelle, I feel like you mentioned this on the pod at some point, but there's a series called Bad Sisters. <gasps> yes. Was oh, that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I know that I think it came out last year, maybe, but I just watched it like, um, I don't know, a month or something ago. And it was like, I could not. Stop watching it. It was so, so good. good. Like I just, I loved like. So if you haven't seen it, listeners, it's like a very dark comedy that like is like kind of. It, there's some drama in it. I feel it feels more to me like a comedy than anything else, although it does touch upon some pretty serious themes. Um, mm-hmm. but I just, like the casting. Like I loved all the actors in this. Like they just like fit their roles perfectly. Uh, I loved all of their homes. Like I wanted to move into like their houses. Like I loved that. Um, so it's about, it's that it's filmed in Ireland. Um, it's where it's set also. So it's about uh, the Garvey sisters, which are a group of five siblings that uh, all live in, in and around Dublin. Um, and one of them has this husband that's just like, an unbelievable asshole. Like he's just like, yeah. I mean, like truly like you're like rooting for this person to have like terrible things happen to them because he's just like a monster. Um, so you find out like right away that he's dead, but you don't know how he died. So like it jumps back and forth between timelines. So like, and all of the sisters hate him as well, except for the one that's married to him um, for a time yeah, so this this the unexpected death of this husband, and then the sisters end up in the present day being investigated by an insurance company to before they before they will pay out money to the the widowed sister. Um, I don't want to say a lot because if you watch it, I don't want to ruin any surprises, mm-hmm. but it's highly entertaining, very uh, very dark comedy. Um, yeah, I think it's on Apple TV. I don't know if we have it in our. I don't think collection so. we probably don't. Um I yeah, we have a well, like a temporary Apple uh plus account because we like Kevin bought something <laughs> at some point and like we nice. we already pay for too many streaming services so we didn't want to add any more so like, I'm watching all the things I can't watch uh elsewhere so I watched yeah that and it
1: was yeah. highly entertaining so I recommend Okay. Well then, uh, good switch over to mine. Cause then the other one that Anna, you need to get on ASAP is the after party. Ooh, uh, so seen. season one, um, stars, lots of different people, but mainly Sam Richardson and uh, Zoe Chow. It's, uh, Ben Schwartz, Dave Franco. Um, gosh, I, tons of other people are in season one. Um, and essentially it is a locked room mystery. Um, they are, they all went to their high school reunion. They come back and uh, to like Dave Franco has become like a super like pop star, rap star, like a la Justin Bieber-ish. Um, but <laughs> Dave Franco dies. Uh, and you're like, Uh-oh, how'd this happen? Tiffany Haddish, Detective Tiffany Haddish comes in and is trying <laughs> to solve the mystery. And the way that she's doing it is that she's going to talk to everybody one-on-one. And when they tell her her story, their narrative becomes, like, a different genre, like, their perspective and everything. And so um, there's, like, the rom-com. There's the – there's an anime. There's a musical. um, There's a psychological thriller kind of, you know, the behind-her-eyes and like – all, uh, you know the, the woman in the window kind of psychological suspense thriller style um, and then now we're in season two and it's another uh, it was a wedding and somebody has died and Tiffany Haddish is back as a detective and there's like a noir there's a Wes Anderson uh, aesthetic episode of like it's as if that, that that's the movie that they're in uh, when they're telling their side of the story and everything um, and it's so good it is absolutely one of the best things Season two is like live right now, so we don't know what happened yet. But it's killing me. So that's definitely in my top. I'm gonna. I can't say favorite thing I watched because that's unfair to all the things that I've watched. But so I'll just say the after party is one of the top.
0: Uh, Thanks for that rec, Michelle. I see that on there and I don't didn't know what it's about, but now I will. I also
1: adore Sam Richardson. He's the greatest. Yeah.
0: Well. I couldn't pick just one, but I did pick two. So I would say my favorite thing I watched on TV was The Last of Us. I like so good for a video game (laughs) adaptation. Like there were parts of that show that like, uh, oh, they're so good. I think we talked about it just like. Cry. Cried really hard. Uh, And then Past Lives. I thought about like everything that I've seen in the theater this year. Like Past Lives was like a perfect movie experience for me. And like the ending like hit so well. And I love Barbie, but I agree with you, Michelle. There's like, Barbie's not perfect to me. Barbie is just this like beautiful celebration of things. Um, And I think it's like, I love that that is a movie that Greta Gerwig made, but I feel like Past Lives is like a movie that I walked out of and I was like, wow, that was a great Great movie. I wouldn't change anything about it. So, Thanks. those are my two. Yeah. I like to cry. I like to feel yeah. sad at the end of my viewing experience.
2: No, I get.
0: Actually, it. Barbie I made me cry too. So, that's that's for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, we had some listeners uh, share with us. Uh, yeah. So David says that uh, they decided to rewatch Breaking Bad and in his household uh, because his spouse hadn't seen the first season or seen past the first season and he had missed the last season. And he says it holds up really well. However, the most fun that David has had in the movie theater this year was evil dead Rise, which is on brand for David. Always that. tracks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Courtney says, uh, actually, I'm just going to say their phrase in total is across the spider verse takes the phrase, Every frame of painting far above and beyond any other movie I've seen in a long time, y'all. So Across the Spider-Verse has Courtney's stamp of approval. Nice. Uh,
0: Taylor says triangle of sadness, 10 out of 10 with five exclamation points after it. That
2: movie's really, (laughs) really good. I remember it like – that would be one of the best things I think I've watched this year too. Yeah. Like it truly – like I found it – did you – have you guys seen that one? No. No. I started, but yeah. I actually didn't
0: finish it because I think it's like uh makes you uncomfortable. I think it makes me uncomfortable. It, These
2: people did. make me uncomfortable. Yeah, and there's like a some very shocking, like it becomes a totally different movie. Ooh. Yeah, at a couple of different points, I'm like what just like like I just that I did and I didn't hadn't read about it going in or anything, so I didn't really know it was coming. But it was like this is not what I, what I thought huh. it okay. was. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, and then our last one is from anonymous. They said ghost, which I know there's an Amer right, Michelle. There's an American yes. ghost yeah. and a British yeah. one. Are they both called ghosts? Yes. So we don't know which one. Yeah, but we'll just is say it well, a, probably a the series? or a it- it's a series? Yeah. yeah,
1: and I know that like yeah, the the American one is in like it's second or third season now. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: cool. Well, thank you everybody for letting us know what we should be watching. Uh, watch, oh, speaking of watching, <laughs> watch OPL's social media on Fridays for our new episodes and to see your upcoming query of the week. Uh, you can send us your answers or connect with us for any reason by emailing us at thebookdrop at Every book resource or thing that we mentioned, even a link to our quiz that we took, we'll uh, link in our episode description and you can check it out there if you missed it. And that is our episode. Thanks for joining us on The Book Drop. The Book Drop is produced by Omaha Public Library. Our theme music is Trapped in Amber, courtesy of the band Lucid Fugue. Don't forget to subscribe to The Book Drop on your favorite podcast app and like and follow Omaha Public Library on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time on The Book Drop.